0: Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? It's good to, good to be with you guys today. I'm so thankful uh, for my church family. Thankful for y'all. If you, if you don't know me, uh, like Joe said, my name is Donnie Tapey. And by the way, Joe, nice outfit, I want to say. We got the same. He got the memo. Uh, no, we didn't plan that, but that happens often. So... Um, yeah, so just want to say good morning. So thankful to be here. Um, I, like, I, like Joe said, I'm the family pastor here at Antioch, Dallas. Uh, so thankful to be with you this morning. And uh, all year, as you guys know, we've been in a sermon series in the book of Ephesians called Make Us One. So that's been our heart prayer. Our prayer in this series has been, Lord, would you make us one with you, one with and one with one another, so that the world would know who Jesus is. So... Uh, that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. That's why we're going through the book of Ephesians. And last week, we started a practice called Love One Another because we wanted to, we didn't just want to fly through this part of Ephesians. We wanted to take our time, slow down, uh, and understand how we actually walk out loving one another uh, in unity because part of loving one another goes towards us being unified. Amen? Yeah. So we want to slow down a bit pause and we want to learn these relational values that we're going through. So last week, Joe introduced our first relational value as he talked about, which was be in relationship with Jesus. And I loved how simple Joe's message was on that. It was just kind of right out of the gate. We want to love one another. Before we even talk about one another, we need to talk about Jesus because he's the one that matters in our relationships, first and foremost. So we, we went through that and um, You know, as followers of Jesus, as we're walking in relationship with Jesus, as we learned last week, in order to love one another, Jesus' command to us wasn't tolerate one another, right? It wasn't like live with mild tension and conflict with one another, brewing all the time, right? But sometimes that's what we do. We kind of live in community and in groups of people with like just this tension. And that's not what we're called to. We're called to love one another, And if you remember at our family service, so not last week, but the week prior, we actually walked through what love is. What kind of love are we talking about? There's a lot of different loves, right? Joe went through, he had his little bag of goodies. He loves pizza. He loves Baylor Bears, he loves his wife. Does that all, are those all equal statements? No, they're, they're very different. And so the type of love we're talking about is agape love. So we define that as self-sacrificial uh, service or good or love toward another person which seeks their good regardless of their response. So self-sacrificial, doing things self-sacrificially for the good of another person regardless of how they respond to it. Sorry, this thing is bouncing around. Um so yeah, so we have this agape love that we're trying to 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 walk out with one another, but it's quite difficult, I think, at times. And so um what we what what I think is is a key on this relational values journey is what Joe talked on last week. Like I I prepared this, (laughs) I was having such a hard time not just doing a repeat version of what he shared because everything's about Jesus. If it's not, it's just another like way of the world, psychology thing we try to do, technique. Everything's got to be grounded in the gospel. So today we're going to talk a lot about Jesus, but we're going to do it through uh, a few certain ways that I'm excited about. So today we're talking about being completely humble and gentle. Being completely humble and gentle. And that comes from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It says this, as a prisoner for the lord then this is paul talking he says as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace so of the things that paul lists he says we want to live a life worthy of the calling and then what's the first thing he says Be completely humble and gentle. Or in the ESV, it says, with all humility and gentleness. And so gentleness, it seems like for what Paul's saying is to live a life worthy of the calling we've been called to, it's not optional. That's like the first thing right off the bat that he mentions, right? It's pretty profound. But then you get to thinking about it and you're like, what is humility? What is gentleness? I've been asking people this last week, what humility is and what gentleness is. And it's pretty amazing the answers I got. I didn't record them, but I got all sorts of things. You know, all sorts of things from like talk, not bragging about yourself and talking less about yourself. Is like, are, are we just talking about common humility and gentleness? Like what you might be able to perceive in the world. So maybe like someone not bragging about themselves on their job, even though they're really good at their job. Is that the kind of humility we need? Or someone maybe being downplaying their own contributions to a project. Or, uh, or, or even another way of humility in the world is that we show humility often to people that are in power over us in order to garner favor. I was actually talking with a friend at lunch this week. And that was another thing. He was one of the things he said when, I, when we were talking about this. And I was like, oh, that's so good because it's so true. Like, we find ourselves at our job. And we're kind of nice to our boss. We kind of you know, butter him up a little bit. Try to be extra nice in order to what? Garner favor. And I'm not saying go and be rude to your boss. It's a bad idea. Or go and be rude to the person in power of you. But is that real humility? Is that the kind of humility we're going for? And I don't think it is. I think it's actually quite far off the mark. So what, again, what is humility? What is this thing that we're seeking out? What is gentleness? So um, I realized after looking through this and wrestling with the definition of humility all week, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like literally probably 15 diff- different definitions that I found, all of which were kind of right, but all missing maybe a piece or an aspect or missing this big aspect or this other thing. So I, I think uh, there's a way I want to go about this, but at first, I want to I play a little game. So if we can fast forward uh, in my slides, I think I put these in the wrong order now that I'm realizing it, to the first picture, we're going to play a little game. Can anyone identify what that is? It's a little weird looking, isn't it? Good guess. No. (laughs) That's good. Anyone else? Cantaloupe is a good guess. No. What? (laughs) (laughs) Ananamony. That's right. Uh, No, it's not it. All right. Go to the next slide. It's the seeds of a bell pepper blown up isn't that pretty amazing all right next one what is this violin strings good guess hair piece of wood good guess is all wrong stairs that's a great guess they're scary stairs to descend they're unpredictable all right next slide show the answer pages of a booklet oh this is so fun all right next next slide next slide what is that boom guitar string somebody has looked at a guitar string up close and knows what they look like isn't that amazing it's like this coiled wire you see it up close it's just incredible all right next slide what about this one what in the world is that? Any guesses? <laughs> it's pretty ambiguous. They give you a hint. If you're Italian, you'd love it. Pasta. pasta. Hey, go to the next one. There you go. It's pasta close up. All right, that's the end of those slides. What's the, why did I just do that other than for kicks? When you're really zoomed in on something and you only see one part of it, sometimes it's hard to understand the whole. And when you back up, all of a sudden you're like, oh, it makes total sense. That's a little bit of what I want to do today with humility and gentleness, because I don't know how to define them. I, I give up. <laughs> and so what I did is I've, I've taken two stories from the scripture. We're gonna read both and we're gonna compare them and understand a little bit of what it looks like to receive and be humble from Jesus. And then we're gonna take time just to talk about what are the implications. And that's my only two points for today. So. Uh, we're going to, the first scripture though, that I want to pull up, um, and talk about is, is the the, the reason, the reason I want to talk about Jesus so much today is because we're not called to just be worldly humble, whatever that definition may be. Some version of that we're called to be this uncommon, stunning, like hard to believe what planet are you from kind of humility with one another because we're meant to model the humility of Jesus. And the only place I've ever found such humility is in Jesus. It's the only place I find it. Now, I feel like I've looked high and low in my life, and it's the only place I really see true humility walked out. We have this amazing invitation in Scripture into Jesus' humility. But remember, we don't even know what it is yet. We're going we're to talk and discover that. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 says this, Come to me, this is Jesus speaking, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an incredible humility or what an incredible invitation into his humility. You will find rest for your souls. Does anyone need, have a soul that needs rest? Feels weary and burdened? That's, if that's, if if, if you feel that Jesus is after you this morning. Like he wants you to come to him and experience his humility and gentleness. But again, maybe some other definitions of humility. Uh, Rick Warren has shared this before. Uh, Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's a Rick Warren quote. Maybe that's what humility is. That seems maybe more accurate. Maybe a little closer to the mark. But even what is gentleness here? That's confusing sometimes too, because gentleness is sometimes translated as humbly. And like in James 1.21, which which shocked me. I was like, really? The words are very similar, and they're often used together. Like in Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So in my mind, and after looking at the Scriptures, humility and gentleness feel like uh, two sides of the same coin. That when humility is present, I can't see how gentleness can't be present. And when gentleness is present, it's hard to see how, how humility uh, isn't there driving it. That they're, they're almost two sides of the same coin. So we're gonna go to two places in the scripture. My three points, if I need them today, Joe, you're really good at wordsmithing and points and alliteration. I, mine suck <laughs> on, that, on, that, on that regard. So I, I wordsmith these for a while. I couldn't find any alliteration to go. So I just gave up. They are what they are. Says, come to Jesus. So my first point is, come to Jesus and treasure Him. So, what are we talking about today? We are called to love one another by being humble and gentle. And to do this, we must come to Jesus and treasure Him. Second one, we must be completely humble and gentle, like Jesus. And then repeat. (laughs) Very simple, but that's what I wanted to walk away with. I wanted you to have something practical. So, um. If you have your Bible, turn your Bibles to Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. We're going to read uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant, and then we're going to look at some things that we can draw out from that scripture together. We're going to read the whole thing, um, and then we're going to again, we're going to kind of go back through. So keep that spot open in your Bible. So as we're working through the different pieces, almost like a discovery Bible study, we're going to read it and we're going to draw some things out today to learn from the scriptures. Again, Matthew 18, 21 through 35 says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. He begins to tell a parable. Kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed—I'm sorry—and uh, as as he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had uh, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell uh, to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the, other servants saw what the, um, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant and said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus is not mincing words there. He's very clear and almost to the point where you're, it's shocking. And the reason I read that story is because I think this man is a picture of what the opposite of humility looks like. So I think a great definition I heard John Piper give is that the opposite of humility is entitlement. The opposite of humility is everyone owes me something. Who doesn't owe me something? God owes me something. The master owes me something. He owes me that forgiveness. So we're gonna go through and we're gonna draw some things out. So look at those, if you look at the scripture again, what's our first point? You can pull up the next slide. I made this just to help us follow along with the things we're, we're drawing out. The first thing was that he was brought to the master. He didn't come to the master. He was brought to him. This man's worldview, we can tell, is not humility, again, but his humility's opposite. It's entitlement. Even though he was just forgiven, that does nothing in his mind and heart and head. But he goes and he demands it from someone else. There's a disconnect there between what he just received. I mean, what was the amount? 10,000 bags of gold. I think that's a lot in today's time. Like that's not even a small amount then. Back then it's even, it's like unpayable. And yet this man goes and demands and chokes his fellow servant. So if you see yourself in this story, that's okay. Because I see myself in this man as well. So as we're reading this, I want us to try to identify where do we see ourselves in this? So entitlement is you owe me. It's the belief, the definition is, the, is it's the belief that uh, one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Is that active in today's world in day and age? Entitlement is rampant. Because of this, uh, because of his heart's disposition, pride and entitlement, entitlement and pride, same thing. The gift of grace didn't seem like a treasure to him. It was what he deserved, right? He was owed this by the master. I mean, how many years has he probably served him? I mean, sure, 10,000 bags of gold, but how much does he have? He's got so much, right? Well, he doesn't need those 10,000 bags of gold. I needed a break, right? I've been serving him my whole life. Like you can kind of hear the dialogue, right? Going on in his own head as he justifies why he ought not to be thankful for this grace, that is that the, that the king has shown him. Maybe even add disdain for him. What a softy. He let me off. I like totally acted and begged. And then he let me off totally scot-free. That's a, a, an emotion we sometimes have. And then he, he then goes and he treats his fellow man with the opposite of gentleness. Remember, they're two sides of the same coin. So if you lack humility, gentleness will be lacking. And he goes and he chokes him. Like, can you imagine choking someone and saying, Pay me, after just experiencing that kind of mercy, it's entitlement and pride. His what was his immediate concern? It was who owes him? That was his immediate concern, was who owes me? It wasn't, man, thank you to the king for what he's done for me. And what's ironic is that his true need to have his debt cleared actually remained. Even though it was forgiven and the forgiveness and grace was given him, offered, because of how he reacted, his debt actually remained. And it came back around in the end because of his pride that separated him from thankfulness, from, from graciousness, from a humble heart. You can hear the good news. You can experience the gospel and not treasure it or feel the weight of it. And I know for me, I often feel in that place sometimes. When I'm tired, when I've had a long day, I don't always treasure it. I don't always feel overwhelmed at its majesty and its glory. But this is, what, this is the alternative. I, and I don't think there's an in-between. I don't think there's a way to live my life that I kind of thread the needle and I'm not so enthralled with Jesus and I'm not so bad over here like this guy. I, wouldn't, I would never choke someone. But how many times have I done similar things, even with my own kids? Maybe not choked them. I never choked them, but but with my kids to say, "Guys, why aren't you obeying? Please, like I've I've told you how many times? Almost like with this, you owe me good behavior, attitude, or 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 in familiar relationships, uh, to to hear the statement something like." Do you know all that I've done for you? How could you blank? It's, a, it's an O statement. It's a you owe me. Do you know all that I've been doing this week, how hard I've been working, and I come home and you ask me to do this on top of it? You owe me something. Entitlement is very, very sneaky because pride is very sneaky. So we all see ourselves in this man, No. I don't want anyone coming out of here being like, well, I'm glad I'm not that guy. <laughs> because the reality is we are all that guy in many ways. We don't want to stay there though. So um, this is a good portrait. Like we said earlier, we back up. This is a good portrait of, of a lack of humility, of entitlement. You kind of see a full picture. If I said define it from there, you'd maybe have a long run on sentence. Because there's, it's a lot to define. So, what is humility? On to our next story: the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. Everyone with me? Yeah. Okay. Oh, if we can advance through those points, uh, everything we just talked about is there. Perfect. There you go. Everything, or most everything we just mentioned, should be up there. So, next story is in Luke seven thirty-six through forty-seven. Luke 7, 36 through 47. This is the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. So some scholars believe this is Mary Magdalene. Some say it's Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And none of them agree. (laughs) So they all fight over which Mary this is. Some say it's not even that Mary. Regardless of that, what we do know is how she behaved and what her posture was. We can see that from the story. So. Let's begin. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, so the Pharisee in Jesus' day was like a religious leader, um, like a a lead pastor. Uh, except uh, with, Jesus was often at odds with them because they had concerns about religion and having people do things that weren't the heart of what Jesus really had in mind for why he wanted people to love him and follow him. It was, they were, had him doing rules and things like this that, that, that missed the heart of God. And so Jesus often was at odds with the Pharisees, but this Pharisee invites him and he comes. So a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Think precious, expensive uh, perfume. Something that's um, not just something you would get out even for a special occasion. This is like, man, I've got this thing. I'm going to hang it on. This is like my inheritance to my family, that kind of precious And and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. So just remember the first part before this. It says a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there. She sought him out. Then she wiped them with her hair. Kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, in his heart, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And I love Jesus answers him. (laughs) Jesus answers what he thinks to himself. I wish I could do that. It'd be so great. So cool. But that's my lack of humility because I'd want to zinger people, right? (laughs) With what they're thinking. So he says... Uh, he says, he says that to himself. And then Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. Jesus with the, with the money stories again, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And I love this. Imagine you're Simon, and he's talking to you, and then he turns and he looks at the woman on her, on her hands and knees, kissing his feet and weeping. Like he, he, he gazes at her. He's teaching Simon something, but he's speaking to her and acknowledging Man, this is, this is great. I love Jesus. He's so good. Because he's like so, uh, he's so loving. And he's so tender. And he's so kind. Like, I don't, I've never met anyone like this. He, he turns toward the woman and he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my head, on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little that friends is a picture of humility that's a picture of gentleness and we don't even see what she does with that there's no part of the story where she goes out and forgives someone else but can you even imagine her getting up from this posture and going and choking someone for what they owe her right it's almost incompatible with one another and that's what relationship with Jesus and seeing the majesty of God does for us. It makes humility overflow out of us because of what we've experienced. So let's draw some things out of the scripture here. If we can go to our chart. She came to Jesus. She sought him out. She was seeking him. Just like the invitation says, come to me all, who, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. She sought Jesus out. She was overwhelmed with joy to be in his presence, maybe even sorrow for the, for the sins she had done, but she was weeping. She was there with joy, with sorrow mixed, just worshiping him. She was there to honor and to bless him. I mean, she gave up what she had for him, pouring out costly perfume, the most costly thing she probably owned. Gentleness was an overflow as she kissed his feet and wiped them with her hair. Can you imagine anything more gentle and intimate? She did not give any thought to what others thought about her or her behavior. Can you imagine walking into a room of people, getting on your hands and knees and weeping and kissing someone's feet? The level of humility that she demonstrated is profound. And it was because she was at Jesus' feet, because all she saw was Jesus. Her eyes were set on him. Does this make sense? Are you hanging with me? She was aware of the magnitude of what she'd been forgiven. And this is over and against our last example of the last, of, of the last story, the unmerciful servant. He had no awareness of what he was forgiven, the true value. And she had every bit of an awareness of how much she'd been forgiven. She was filled with much love because she'd been forgiven much. So her immediate concern is no one else. Not what she's owed, not what this person thinks about her. Her concern is Jesus and worshiping him, seeing him, having her eyes fixed on him. Her true needs have all been met in Jesus and her cup is full. Have you ever been so happy about something that you're just like laughing with sheer joy? To laugh wholeheartedly with joy and like fall on the floor rolling in laughter, it takes humility because you gotta not care what people think about you, right? Right? You gotta be, so, you're so happy. You're just like, (laughs) I don't care, I don't care, yes! Like, you're just so happy to be, to have whatever you have that's bringing you joy. Like, that's how we're meant to operate in our relationship. That's how we're meant to go to him and to experience Jesus. This woman is a portrait. When you step back, you see little pieces of her. But when you step back, you see this portrait of humility and what it looks like. Does this make sense? Do you feel like you can see humility now a little bit clearer and what's truly happened here is that she's taken jesus up on his invitation in matthew 11 come to me all who weary and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light she came there ready to worship him she's taken jesus yoke willingly upon her shoulders and learning from him, because he's gentle and humble in and heart, she found rest for her soul. Man, what a place of rest she found. So we're called to love one another by being humble and gentle, right? To do this, we've got to come to Jesus and to treasure Him. There's no other path to humility that I can find other than coming to Jesus and treasuring him. And then what's our next point? We want to be completely humble and gentle. That's easy, right? Just do it. Is that a frustrating response to anyone? I feel frustrated when I hear that. Just do it, Donnie. What's the problem? So if you're treasuring Christ's humility and gentleness and how he's loved you, given you grace and mercy, giving you peace and security, if your eyes are set on him and you're enjoying him, the, the reality is you will be humble and gentle toward others. But we experience this duality of, man, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I don't always feel it. And I think I want, I want us to be very honest with one another this morning. So I know for me, it is very easy to convince myself that I'm doing all the right things that I need to do, uh, or even um, that I am being a good Christian, that I'm being a good father, I'm being a good pastor, whatever, and to really deceive myself. So again, this isn't a heavy message. What I want is clear eyes, right? I want us to see ourselves clearly. And I think so often distractions and things come in in our life and things come in that we let get in front of our relationship with Jesus when it really it's the most important thing in our lives. And it's so easy to dismiss them and give them reasons for being there, right? It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to have our eyes pulled away from Jesus. There's this quote by John Piper that I love. says this, Christian humility and gentleness flourishes in the human soul when we are standing in front of a window that looks onto the Himalayas of Christ's grandeur. Have you ever stood in front of the mountains? I went to the Grand Canyon once and I remember walking up to the edge and I, my knees were like involuntarily shaking because of the, the chasm that lay before me. I was just like, I couldn't help but be moved by it. Even if I didn't want to, even if I was acting tough, it was like, as I approach it. So he says that Christian humility flourishes in the human soul when we're standing in front of a window that looks onto the Himalayas of Christ's grandeur. And Christian humility vanishes when we close the window and stand in front of a mirror trying to see the authenticity of our humility or who we are. It flourishes when we are looking away from it to Christ, and it hides when we're looking directly at it at the mirror. When we're looking at Jesus and who He is, we're we're truly satisfied by Him, and we're not finding ourselves concerned with others, uh, with others and their and their and their things and what they owe us because we're satisfied. So we're we're not entitled and 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 prideful towards others because in fact we naturally look to the needs of others because our needs are full. If you have your needs met, where else do you look? Outward. And Christ is meant to fulfill all those needs. And so how does humility and gentleness work? How does it help us? Um, there's, so that's the way we. I, I want us to, to walk out humility and gentleness. That's the ideal. And then there's the times when I don't feel it. Has anyone been there? Yeah. So humility and—so one, I want to I talk about what humility does for our relationships and then how we can do it even when we don't feel it. So I went on a road trip with my brothers uh, a few years ago, and we were in, it was in Georgia, and we got, uh, I wasn't driving, (laughs) we got a little turned around, and so we go down this road, it's my humility again coming out, Uh, we we go down this road, and we find ourselves for the next three hours on the roughest uh, unpaved roads I've ever been on. And like the kind of washboard ones where no matter the speed you go, you're, you're just shaken to death. And so, literally, three hours of that. And by the time we got back and found our way, we turned onto a paved road. It was like, it was like, oh, it was like bliss. I've never been more excited for asphalt in my life. But it was like all of a sudden, it was smooth. And I could think and I could like talk to my brothers again. The whole time I was like, y'all, this is miserable. I was like, and the slower we go, the longer it's gonna take. So it's like, please deliver us, God. Like, what are we doing here? And that's all we could focus on. So humility and gentleness in relationships is like paving the road in your relationships. If you don't have humility and gentleness in your relationships, you're in for a rocky ride in every single relationship you have. And that's not God's heart for you. God's heart is that insofar as it depends on you, it would be smooth. Does this make sense? So how does humility and gentleness do this? I want to try to flesh this out a little bit. So if you're on a smooth road, on smooth pavement, you can enjoy the ride, right? You can be in there longer. You can be in it longer. You can, you can talk to the people in the car with you. There's, there's more freedom in your head because you're not only focused on how rough the road is. Then humility and gentleness kind of levels it out. But how does it do that? For just for, as an example, honesty. How does it help you be more honest in your relationships? Well, you're not concerned about what the other person thinks about you. So you can be honest with them. But you're really concerned about what they feel and so you make sure you do it in a way that's gentle right that doesn't inflame their pride because they have pride and so do you so it helps us with honesty in conflict how does it help in conflict we could talk all day about that but a simple one maybe you've done something wrong and you don't see it and so a person who's humble and gentle comes to you and says hey here's what happened and it made me feel this way or or I felt this way when this happened, can you help me understand that? And you go, yeah, I don't want you to feel that way. And so, yeah, and you begin to talk about it and the the level and the volume is gentle and not high versus, hey, do you know what you did earlier? How that made me feel? You made me feel that way. And it's, you know, you're like, you're you're ready to fight. Humility and gentleness lowers the bar for people to hear one another and be heard and to come to one another. Can you imagine coming to the God of the universe as a sinner and being like, will you forgive me? You would steer clear of him. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They ran from God. They hid from him. And then God says, how do I reach them? I'm going to come in the most humble form I can. And I'm going to reach out to them like, you need me down here? I'll come as low as I can come. Come on, and I'll, and I'll pick you up with me. Like, that's what's happened in the gospel for you. Christ came down and humbled himself on your behalf. And folks, it's amazing. <laughs> like, and this is the invitation for us. That's why we're doing this love practice. I don't always feel that. I feel it now because I'm speaking it to you all, it's one of the gifts of preaching. Is that when you preach, you you uh, you um, what's the word? Uh, you you encourage yourself, you exhort yourself as you do it, and it's also I've been sitting in it all week, <laughs> preparing this, and so I feel it extra. But I know there's times when I don't in my own life when I feel tired. But what? But at, at, that's why we do the practice because the practices. Anything we do, whether it's prayer or this love one another practice, I wish I could hold it up, but you'll get a digital copy, is like going to the edge of the Grand Canyon in the morning and going, all right, I've seen this every day, but would you, God, just inspire me with something new? My heart's jaded. Would you do something in me? It's setting yourself before the grandeur of Christ, before the beauty of Christ, to treasure him. And when we do that faithfully, man, God is amazing to open our eyes to everything in our hearts, to, to stun our hearts with his beauty and his glory and his majesty and his forgiveness so that you come to Jesus and to come to others like this woman who's a portrait of humility. Is this making sense? So we can, part of, part of what I love about this is that the act of walking to the edge of the Grand Canyon, I can do that. I can force myself to do it, even when I don't feel it, right? Have any of you gone on a vacation you hated? Or you did something you didn't wanna do, but because you had to go with family or something? We can do lots of things we don't wanna do. We do it all the time in our work, right? We put in long hours. Oh, I wish I had help to do this, but I can't. I gotta get that bacon, gotta get that paycheck, right? That's what we want. That's what we're, what we're, I don't know why I said bacon. I never used that term for money. <laughs> but, but it's like, this is what you're going for. This is what we want. Like we, we will sacrifice so much for money and for advancement and for that next thing or that bigger house or whatever the thing is that you desire most. And so part of my question is, will you do this practice with us? Like, I want to go to the Grand Canyon with you because when I go, I I stand there. I'm like, man, I've seen this before. I hiked down there before. I'm not so moved by right now. And then Sean, my buddy is next to me and he, we go to lunch uh, once a month and I see him and we we were talking about this and, and he goes, you know, look at this, look at, look at this piece about Jesus and who he is. I'm amazed by this, this week. And I go, oh yeah, I've never seen that before. That's like six miles across, right? Or it's even something common. Like the other day, I was talking to some friends and we were, we somehow the sun came up, <laughs> like the sun, not Jesus, like the sun in the sky. And I looked up some numbers about it and I was like, that's right, I forgot. It can contain 1.3 million earths in its volume. Nothing, see? We're just like science facts. What is that? It's just, it just you can't even contain that. And Christ's grandeur is so much bigger. Like to hear the scale of that, 1.3 million earths. Like it's so, it's so big, you can't, even, you can't even fathom it. And yet I'm like driving, honking at people on the highway and the sun's shining down on me all the while. And I just miss it. Like we are meant to worship Jesus. We're meant to go to him daily. Daily and be on our knees. And if you're not, there's no guilt at all. I'm a dad of four. There are days I miss because I'm exhausted or I can't get to it or someone's pooped their pants and I need to go deal with that. And it's everywhere and then it's on me and I got to change my clothes. Like there's, there's days where I'm trying to, I'm following Jesus with everything I have, but there's days I miss the mark and that's why Jesus came down low. He didn't come down low to lift you up and be like, right, from now on, if you dip beneath this level, you're out, you're out of here. The whole point was to come down to where we needed him so he could lift us up. And so when you do that, you will be humble and gentle in your relationships with your friends. Because how could you make them owe you something? How could I look at my friend Matt of 10 years, 10, 12 years now and say, Matt, you owe me, you owed me the compliment or like a call that day on my birthday, but you forgot. I can't believe you didn't call me on my birthday. He did, he texted me, but it's <laughs> just an example. But how can I just make everyone owe me? That's the opposite of humility and friends. That's not where we, it's not where we want to be. Everything in our world though is pushing you to look to what you're owed. And this practice is doing everything we can to come against it and say, no. We don't want this. We want the grandeur of Christ. I want to weep at his feet. I want to worship him, but I don't know if I can feel it, so I got to go. I got to go to the edge. <laughs> I got to go to the edge of the Grand Canyon. My wife and I and my family are going to Colorado here soon in October, and I cannot wait. I am going to stand on the edge of some precipice and not die, but I'm going to go and I'm just going to soak it in. And I'm gonna try to just take in the grandeur of how small I am and let it relate me my heart to Jesus. And there's there's so many things we can do just in our life, but a practice like this is one of them to set ourselves before the word of God and to pray and to talk to God so that He can talk to us and encourage our hearts. Is this making sense? Okay. Well, this is some kind of miracle, but I'm done. So we're gonna go. into this next part. Oh, I want to read this scripture, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I was almost done. This is going to take 10 minutes. I'm just kidding. Uh, Sometimes we feel like uh, reality, um, the way we feel, dictates reality. And that's not true. Our generation believes that. The way I feel dictates reality. We, we know that from news cycles, we know that from all sorts of things going on in our, in our day and age with gender identity and confusion and things like that, that there is, my way I feel dictates reality and truth. And, and it actually changes the world and then you need to see this the way I see it. And, and that's simply not true. Reality will strike us in the face really hard when we live that way, and that's not the way we're meant to live. As a follower of Jesus, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he helps us to show up to reality really, really well. He helps us to live in a way that we're not grating against the guardrail constantly in our life. And that's his heart for you, but we've got to go to the edge. We've got to take in Christ's grandeur in order to let it affect and change our hearts. But one of the cool things about that is that reality, our feelings don't dictate reality, but often our reality can dictate our feelings. And so if we help and begin to change that, and we go and we stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, or we, uh, so to speak, in the morning as we pray and as we follow Jesus, as we go to God's word, doing that can actually begin to change how we feel and actually begin to shape us to reality rather than trying to bend reality to our will, which is a losing battle. So this is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is the Savior you have. I'm going to end on this because it's so good. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, uh, so if we can have the band come up and uh, our prayer and prophetic team will be ready um, as we're singing. One of the things that's hardest about this and, and responding, and I want you all to be aware of, is that we have prayer and prophetic team up here. We have people up here to pray with you, not to make you do the march down the aisle and feel like people are looking at you. No one cares No, I don't mean that in a harsh way. No one cares. No one's like, oh my gosh, did you see Bob? He went up for prayer again, two weeks in a row there. You know, there, there must be something really wrong in his life. Like that's not, that's not who I am. Maybe there's some of those in here, (laughs) but who cares? Like if that, if that's you, your opinion needs to be submitted to Jesus. (laughs) Like you're, you're the unmerciful servant. Like, We have prayer up here so that people can come and when you need prayer, you can be prayed for. And everyone in this room is qualified to do that. So if you need prayer, turn to the person next to you if everyone up here is full and ask them, would you pray for me about this thing and share with them? So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I'm finally gonna read it. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, If any tenderness or compassion, and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess acknowledge that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father As you stand as we worship jesus thank you for today god thank you for your goodness and your glory god thank you for your kindness Lord, and as we worship God, I just pray that our hearts would look to you, Jesus. I pray that they would be filled with the grandeur of who you are. We would be just enthralled, Jesus, with who you are as we look to you. And Holy Spirit, would you communicate those truths to our heart in a way that we've not heard them before so that we could be in awe of you and who you are, that we might be spurred on to be humble and gentle like you are. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your humility and gentleness which allows us to come to you. Thank you for going low that we might come to you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.